When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hot D, the officially unofficial podcast for House of the Dragon on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking season one, episode one, The Heirs of the Dragon. Yes, that's right. We got a title. It only took them two days to give us a title for the episode they've released for like the biggest premiere in the world. Uh, Seems strange to me that they wouldn't have that on launch, but you know, HBO is going to do what HBO is going to do. Aaron, second, third, fourth, ninth? Watch. I, I don't know how many times you watched this. Who knows? Uh, what do you think of it? I I thought the air the hairs of the kingdom was an odd choice because so many people were fixated on the wig work, the dodgy wig work. Like, why would you draw attention to that? You know, the hairs of the king. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, the, ti- the the ambiguous titles aside, I, I think I got four watches in total, not uh, counting the one Jeez. I saw out in L.A. And I every time I watch this, I feel like my estimation of it grows because I think about all the things mm-hmm. that it has to do which it has to kind of like draw in and and remind people what Game of Thrones is and this universe is and get you to care about stuff that's like, you know, you got the, I recognize that lo- that sigil here, but none, you don't know any of these people and how they are able to just draw those connections to Game of Thrones fans' hearts, who I think want to love the show. They were estranged from the show. Um, and, and now we've got this new, it's, it's got all the intrigue. It's got all these characters. There's multi, they, they, they're introducing so much multifaceted conflict, like conflict along personalities, conflict along familial lines and, uh, the, uh, different ambitions, uh, gen, you know, gender roles in society, uh, jealousies amongst friends, uh, the fact that there hasn't been war for people to, uh, you know, attain rank and glory for some time. Like there's all these conditions that are just, just, just ripe. And the fact that you've had this unprecedented peace and prosperity leading up to this. So that's kind of like been a paradoxically a pressure cooker. Uh, I, I just think it's, it's, it's great. Like it's, it's a really gripping hour and it does everything it needs to do to kind of introduce the main characters and the, and, and not just that, but the complicated fault lines, that are going to make, you know, uh, this series is is going to be a tragedy. You know, if you're a fan of the the, the central figures of Targaryens, um, you know, it's going to see them go from the apex of their power to kind of like beginning their swoon. That's going to terminate in, you know, Robert Baratheon smashing Rhaegar's head in and the, the Battle of the Trident uh, some 173 years later. So I think I, I, I every time I watch it, I think it's a little bit better and I admire it even, uh, a little bit more. Uh, how about you, Jim? Oh, yeah, I'm absolutely with you. I, I, you said the other night after because we watched the premiere together at your place and you said, boy, that was better the second time around. And I thought uh, after my second watch, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the complexity here is exactly what I was looking for from a Game of Thrones prequel. 
this is the kind of stuff that really got me going in the Game of Thrones uh, series proper. So if they can continue with the level of strong characterization, complex plot, and honestly, very good dialogue. I was very impressed by especially some of those council uh, meetings, the dialogue there. And it's not like this episode is an episode, right? So it's not going to hit like the highs of some of the best of Game of Thrones. You can't expect that of a single episode. Um, But it shows a lot of promise. And it was it's interesting to me because you said, you know, you think Game of Thrones fans have like been ready for this and wanting this. And I think even Game of Thrones haters have been ready for this and wanting this too, because I have seen nothing but positivity. Like all of that shit that was like, oh, fuck the prequels. Like there's, this is going to be stupid. They, they ruined, you know, a song of ice and fire with game of Thrones. All that has gone out the window. I didn't see a single drop of it anywhere. And I was on ASA, like, they didn't even have anything to say that was bad about this. So I was super impressed with how they pulled this off and how they like turned around fan sentiment after what was a pretty bad season eight of Game of Thrones. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's certainly consistent with the polling we've done here in bald move where it looked like up to 90% yeah, yeah. of the bald move audience was primed to at least, you know, tr- give, give this show a chance. I, there's a couple things I just saw this morning, the HBO announced uh, statistics, just over 10 million people watched the premiere, Yep, which is by far and away their, their, their most watched premiere of any series. Of course, it's kind of cheating when you've got the sequel to the, but you know, there, there's a lot of well poisoning there. Um, there is there a was. start. A, this this amazing image that was posted to Reddit yesterday of someone standing outside of Brownstone, I think, I and it might have it might have been in Manhattan or uh, I'm sorry, Brooklyn. It, it could have been uh, in in Chicago somewhere, but like fully one third. This is like a 14 floor building. You know, about eight. 10 units wide a third of those bu- the uh, windows were lighting up simultaneously with the action you could tell like it's like like a live nielsen rating mm-hmm. uh everyone who was watching in that unit game of thrones and it felt like yeah on twitter everything it just felt like we had got season nine of game of thrones and yeah. people yeah. were like almost openly mocking the concept of being a never <laughs> house of dragoner you know like why the fuck would you you know, this is an entirely different yeah. apparatus, a entirely, entirely different set of writers, a based on a book. And I, as I wave fire and blood around, that's fully finished. It's got an ending. The and and the only the only criticism I ever had of fire and blood is it's it's kind of dull uh, sure. when it's not doing its set pieces and its big swings. It's kind of dull. For example, I said I was going to do this. I'm going to do it right now uh, from page 359 of fire and blood. Here is the pivotal scene from tonight's episode. Thus did matters stand in King's Landing late in the year 105 AC when Queen Emma was brought to bed in Megar's Holdfast and died whilst giving birth to the son that Viserys Targaryen had desired for so long. The boy, named Balon after the king's father, survived his uh, her, survived her only by a day, leaving king and court bereft. That's it. That's, That's dry it. as fuck. So like, okay, yeah, you get it. Like, oh man, the king, if, if, if you want to really read between the lines, like, oh man, the king is really uh, in a pickle here because he's got no air and he was confident he's going to get, but like the mm. drama and the emotion is, is completely absent. And if they can, because they're like, I'm, I'm not shitting you. There are stunning set pieces involving combat, duels, 
dragon on dragon on dragon conflicts that are you know they got clearly have the cgi budget to pull off the only thing i worried about is the you know king bereft of it all they they i think they can do that like they've got the cast they've got the writers that can bring this stuff to life and i am pretty excited i think this is going to be uh this is going to be a lot of like what it's never going to fix the ending of Game of Thrones. No, the only thing that can course. fix that is George fucking finishing his final two books. And then HBO but, refilming those last two, right. three seasons, maybe. Right. But this is the second best thing. This is like, imagine like uh, if we got a Star Wars prequels that were kind of awesome, mm-hmm. you know, like if you're a little disappointed by, you know, the the Return of the Jedi of it all and the Ewoks and the second Death Star. What if the prequels just were fucking awesome? What would the fan base be like uh, after that? I I think this is a, a great step in the right direction. And there's so much great Targaryen lore that if they do turn this into a anthology, I can see it being popular for years. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, this is just one episode. Exactly. Uh, at least at least one television reviewer. I really respect Alan Sepinwall, who has seen six, say that, you know, he's kind of meh on the whole thing. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm 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 pretty excited. And uh, part of me liking it more each time is like the first time I watched, like I had just kind of like in the same way, I feel like this is even not me being gripped up about the content of Game of Thrones and House of Dragon. But like anytime I remember being a kid and like when I was watching a new Star Trek series, kind of like, oh, God, is this going to suck? You know, being worried like uh-huh. I, I've drugged my family to Star Trek five. Oh, God, Spock. Oh, look at the wig. Oh, no, this is lame. Like, like, yeah. I don't want that in my life. And, you know, uh, just being able to graduate like like the fart was the apex of that <laughs> pit in my stomach. And uh-huh. from that on, it just kind of went away. And and now that I know that the episode is good. Yeah, I I guess I'm just trying to say I, I really like this show and I think it's got a huge, huge potential. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, th- that's what it is, too. And I, I see a lot of people going overboard um, with their adoration of this episode saying, you know, Game of Thrones is back and this is like the second coming and I'm like okay it's one episode give it a, give it time let's see what it can do uh, but this is a very good start yeah yeah I will say god damn it George Martin god damn it I know I know it's realistic but do you really have to name every single person exactly to say it's like when George <laughs> Martin goes to start naming people it's like there are only four letters in the alphabet and it fucking kills me yeah, there's a lot of Nis and Rays and A's and, you know, but then again, we live on a planet where there's six George Foreman, at least. I, I know, uh, I know. It's, you know, it's somewhat like, realistic, uh, but come on, you're you're writing fiction. Yeah, it's uh, it's it is rough. And they've clearly decided that, like, this is what we're going to do, man. You're good. The audience is going to have to know their nearest from their nieces. And if they don't mm-hmm. fuck them, uh, I think that's fine because three seasons in the game of thrones people were still calling people that's the sister fucker and yeah. uh this is uh you, you know rainbow pants and this like they they there's so there's such a huge cast that you kind of kind of recognize by face and armor before you get the name so like i i don't think it's gonna be a sure. fatal flaw no it's only really a problem when someone is talking about someone else in their absence um Yes. And you get a rain something and you're like, mm, which one are they talking about? Right. And but, that, that you're right, because like visually, I think they did a good job of making everyone very distinct. Oh, yeah. 
Um, but you're right when you're referring to people and they're not in the room. I can see some people going to be scratching their head, but like, I, I don't think this early on. I don't think this is nearly as difficult if you came from a Game of Thrones background as like the pilot episode of Game of Thrones, where it's like, mm. where the fuck are we now? Where the fuck are we? Who is yeah. this old dude with stones on his eyes? Who are these people? Their brother and sister. Wait, they're fucking. And now we're at this other like this is essentially one spot with mm-hmm. one family and like a group of orbiters. It and is we're already familiar this, with that spot too, which is nice. Yes, yes. And now we can now, and I think this is such a confident state of like all the main players that you can start adding the ensemble like slowly over the next couple of weeks, and, mm-hmm. and people are going to, uh, I think, roll with it a lot, a lot better, a lot easier. I will yeah, say yeah. here though, I cannot warn you people enough that if you are if you do not want book spoilers, don't Google a goddamn thing because this story mm-hmm. is complete. And you go Googling and you're and, and Google's going to helpfully give you the first paragraph from a wiki of ice and fire, which mm-hmm. is going to give you the pivotal, essentially the pivotal events of this person's life in like three or four sentences, including <laughs> how they met their ends, uh, which is needless to say. So, like, I, you guys really have to maintain discipline if you want to be unsullied for this, because like the, the saving grace of the original series is Martin hadn't finished. Mm-hmm. So, like, even if you caught all the way up, there was the whole, like, what, where is this going of it all that you could. That's not the case. Like, it's pretty much the the bones of this are completely done and, out and over and decided. And it's still a lot of fun to see the emotion breathed into it. But I know some people would would, would have their days ruined. And as, as tempting as you want, as, as tempting as it is to know more about House Valerian, et cetera, you just yeah, you don't you don't want any part of that. Yeah. No, I attempted fate going over to ASOAF because uh, they they don't they don't care about spoilers over there. Obviously, they're a book first uh, subreddit, yeah. so yeah, yeah. I just wanted to see what the sentiment was like over there, and it's it's positive across the board, which I was happy I, to I, see. I agree. I, I will say there's some. I think subreddits like uh, Game of Thrones and ASIOAF are pretty good. We have a pretty good Discord community, discord.baldmove.com that segregates this stuff into spoilers and non-spoilers and are pretty pretty diligent about that. But you got to be careful because mm-hmm. like even even our slash Game of Thrones, that's how I first got spoiled on The Red Wedding. Oh, you yeah. know, because uh, the mods aren't they're not God. They're not everywhere, every time, every, every, everywhere at all times. So mm-hmm. step step lightly out there. All right. Anything else to say before we get to the recap? Uh, I just want to shout out the amazing artwork that Chase Stone as Grace. Oh, you might have yeah. noticed it changing um, from the old stuff to like new stuff to like, oh, my God, new stuff. Um, we I, I worked with Chase for the first time when he did some illustrations for Gods of Thrones and me and Maester Anthony did a book right right as you know season seven season eight were coming out he did some original illustrations he's done a lot of official Martin stuff he did a lot of illustrations for the world of ice and fire the kind of encyclopedic uh, tome that Martin came out uh, he's a pretty prolific Magic the Gathering illustrator and he just I I'm going to say I don't think I've ever looked cooler uh, Same here. Yeah, I feel like I was born in the wrong era. Like, can we bring boiled leather and full plate back? Because holy shit, I that I'm dressed to the nines in this thing. I'm pulling that off. Uh, yeah. 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 So thanks, thanks to him. And I, I it's like, man, if if uh, if if we're judging just by cover art, I think we're we're beating the competition. I know yeah. it's not coming, but number one, but, but I got to think that cover art. 
Yeah, if you're searching for our House of Dragons podcast, and and uh, that's that's got to be at least worth a click, right? I yeah, I would hope so. I'm, I'm trying to tell if the the text at the top reads well enough um, in in small thumbnail form, but I I don't really care because it's so cool. And plus, you oh. always have the title under it, right? You always have Hot D right. House of the Dragon right underneath it. So who cares? Again, um, like I just think like even if you can't make out the text, like it's manifestly a House of the Dragon podcast. Just the art itself puts it smack dab in that yeah. universe. So yeah, I mean, I'm sitting on the Iron Throne. What more do you want? Yeah, and if, if you've never seen videos of us, you want to know what it look like. That, that's what we look like. We're, we mm-hmm. both have glasses in real life because uh, we <laughs> we would die in this era because we have very poor vision. <laughs> yep, uh, that'd be the yeah. We look good, but we 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 die in battle. Uh, yeah, it's uh, he nailed us. That's uh, it's it's pretty 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 good likenesses. Mm-hmm. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. All right, let's move over to the recap. We're going to start off with a history lesson, Aaron. Are you ready? Do you want to know something about this world's history? Let, let oh, me educate man. you. Can I learn a thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, his health failing, Jaehaerys held a great council. Jaehaerys is the king before Viserys, and you'll find out why. Uh, he, he held a great council, which was a giant vote of all the lords of the Seven Kingdoms over who would succeed him. 
and they end up making his nephew Viserys king. And in doing so, they passed over his firstborn daughter, Rhaenys. And maybe only born, I have no idea if Rhaenys has siblings. Um, yeah, but right, she's, the, she's, the eldest, she's the eldest of the heir's bloodline. Yes. If you ignored sex, she'd be a shoe in you yep. know. Yep, but they passed her over. So they, they made a big statement there. Uh, no ladies on the throne. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the big history lesson here. And and I right off the bat, I was like, all right, baby, Game of Thrones is back because they said dynasty when they said the word <laughs> dynasty. So I was super happy. It's like five seconds yeah. in and they're they're already putting their stamp on it. And then I thought like, a, you know, I, I mentioned this in the I was kind of hemming and hawing like, oh, my God, a prologue and a big old exposition and a scroll of text. No doubt. Like I was thinking, is this how I expected the series to begin? But I, I kept on thinking like, well, it. It really worked for fellowship. Sometimes you just have to do sure. this. You get it out of the way. You do it as artfully as you can. I thought the 172 years before Daenerys was really cool because that's like if your eyes are kind of glazed over, this at least puts you kind of somewhere in in the scope of time and yeah. place. It tells you that like this is the tar- we saw the Targaryens at their nadir. This mm-hmm. is their apex. They have 10 adult dragons. They are the indisputed, undisputed masters of this of this continent and this part of the world, uh, capable of, of projecting their power far and wide. Um, yeah, and this scene yeah. is doing a ton of heavy lifting, and I don't think it's that hard to follow, right? They make it as simple as possible. There's a king. Yeah. There are two possible heirs. They choose the male over the female, and that's pretty much it. Also, the final line of that, little uh narration there is the only thing that could tear down the house the dragon was itself i think is setting up Mm -hmm. the rest of the series right yeah this is the oldest wisest most successful king and he knows that this is something you got to keep you got to eat this is a a finely tuned race engine that's primed to blow and you have to keep it all all of its ambitions and its its powers and kind of check and uh Mm -hmm. is the serious going to be as wise and wield power as deftly. Uh, we'll have to well, see. And, and they're bookending this episode with two identical decisions, right? You've got a couple of heirs, one of them male, one of them female, and who are you going to pick? And Viserys makes the exact opposite choice of right. Jaehaerys. And Jaehaerys ushered what was a peacetime king. He ushered in however many more years of peacetime through, I think it's nine at this point of Viserys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. Viserys is not a terrible king. Uh-huh. Uh, he just, uh, and, and the, I, I guess the question I'd, I'd have is like, you know, like reversing your, you know, changing your mind or deciding you want to make your daughter the queen is one thing. But like when it was just decided the opposite of you. Right. And did you make this decision after like, you know, sober deliberation? Did you involve the rest of the realm? Or is this a very emotional decision based on yeah. a fit of peak that you're having with your brother? That's the interesting stuff, because this that's one of the reasons, you know, Jaharis did the, you know, he called this great council. Yep. They met in Heron Hall. I looked into it and like Heron Hall uh, was stated to be selected because it was the only place large enough to hold the entire assembly of the lords and, and ladies that were going to be voted voting on. Yeah. I still think it's a bit of a Targaryen flex, too. 
because okay. it's like this is sure. the this is the grave of formerly one of the most powerful and wealthy houses that crossed the Targaryens and look what happened to them. Yeah. Um, they had 14 claims that they considered. They win- winnowed it down to Renice, Re- Arenas, and uh, Viserys. Um, and uh, they they went with uh, Viserys. And according to the 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 lore, um, it while it's a secret vote. Somehow people got that uh, it was a 20 to one favor hmm. uh, of Viserys. That shows how much the realm really didn't want a woman on the throne. Yeah. Um, and the fact that this is a vote too. this wasn't by fiat, right? The, the king right. didn't declare an heir that he let the kingdom vote, I think, is smart. Um, much smarter than the decision that Viserys makes at the end of this episode, because yeah. it allows people nowhere to point blame, you know? Yeah. They point the blame back at themselves. I mean, sure, if these small houses want to go and try and, like, kill the people who voted for Rhaenyra's, is that her name? Shit. <laughs> I've already forgotten uh, the rain. Rhaenys. Rhaenys, yeah. Uh, if they want to go squabble among themselves, they can, but nobody's coming at the king for this decision. Whereas right. Viserys, mm, he made this decision unilaterally. So we'll see how that works out for him. Yeah, and behind the scenes, and there's there's a lot of this that's that's hinted at in the series. Um, you know, Rhaenys didn't have a lot of support, but the support she had was strong and pretty powerful. Uh, her husband, Corlys Valerian, and House Valerian, one of the more wealthy and powerful um, uh, families at the time, uh, they you know kind of control the largest, most powerful fleet in Westeros. Um, Corlys himself is like this at, at this point of his life, a very famous, wealthy, powerful man. Uh, you know, the, the, his family's fleet gave him power, uh, enabled him to sail across the globe, the far flung regions of, of, uh, Planetos here, uh, sailed so far east and wet uh, on Essos that he made it to the lands of Yi-T, which is kind of like the China and analog of Westeros and hmm. established, uh, trade routes for silk and spice that made him even more powerful. And he threw all that behind his wife's claim. Uh, and he also had the Baratheons, which are an old, old ally and friend of the Targaryens uh, all the way back to like Aegon, his best friend and maybe bastard half brother. Orlis Baratheon was one of his strongest supporters. Uh, Rhaenys's, uh mother was a Baratheon. Uh, they also had a lot of support of the nor- Northern Lords, um, the Starks are behind them. The Manderleys are behind them. Some think because of a grudge going back to uh, King Jaehaerys giving the the Night's Watch another, you know, they, they had like this narrow strip of land by the wall, a 25 league strip called the Gift that they could kind of forage and provide for themselves. He doubled that, which took a lot of land away from the Northern Lords, which pissed them off. So... Rhaenys has got a small claim, but there's a lot of, you know, you recognize the Starks, the Baratheons. That's there's some power to those names. Um, So it wasn't nothing. It wasn't nothing. Just wasn't wasn't enough. And it's definitely you can kind of tell, I think, this episode too a sticking point, uh, sticking in the craws of Corlys and and, and Rhaenys being passed over. And I think Viserys feels that I, I look at Viserys in a couple of scenes this episode and I say he does. He feels some guilt over her being passed over. Um, this yeah. was not his choice necessarily. Uh, he, he almost feels bad about it. I paid more attention to that on the subsequent watches after you mentioned it. And I definitely saw it. it this, this wasn't, uh, you know, when, when they look at Viserys and, and his, his queen, Ama or his wife, Ama at the time, they did not look thrilled. 
No, they looked like this is a heavy responsibility at best laid upon them. And and uh, maybe they're quietly hoping for Rainus, who was, you know, she was uh, a pretty fierce warrior woman of her in her own right and probably would have made a banger queen. Uh, yeah. And, you know, what does this Viserys feel kind of like a, by, as a lightweight by comparison? Uh, it's interesting. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, let's move over to nine years into Viserys' reign. I don't know exactly how long that is because I don't know when Jairus dies. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're 172 years before the birth of Danny, who you might remember from Game of Thrones. Uh, Princess Rhaenyra Targaryen lands her dragon in King's Landing. Alison Hightower accompanies her into the Red Keep to visit her mother, the queen. And her mother tries to tell Rhaenyra that she can't be a warrior. She has to be a mother. The, the the bed is their battlefield. Yeah, I I thought the intro here was so thrilling, just kind of silent scene in the clouds, and then this you know young woman and riding a dragon through it, just really nails uh, wordlessly what they get to the later in the episode. How the Targaryens are seen as semi divine to the people of Westeros. They're mm-hmm. these people with silver hair. They got violet eyes in the books. Of course, they're, they're not doing that in, in the series. Uh, and they like this is I mean, this is shit you have to get on a jumbo jet to see. This is stuff that like no human ent- until the last few hundred years. If you got a hot air balloon or, you know, you're a Wright brother, mm-hmm. we're able to see these kind of sites. And, and that's where they they live and they do battle. Uh, and the small folks see these dragons swoop in and out, like coming and going like a major air airline kind of thing. Um, it really shows like how much above literally everyone else the Targaryens are, and it's just I was like you know, and it, it also made you think of Danny last time she rode over sure. King's Landing, uh, which is all things they're they're trying to intend. Um, oh yeah, I mean they're evoking Game of Thrones here and the music as well, uh, and the scale. Of- like I love uh-huh. when they they show the, the 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 camera look up into the Tower of the Hand as part of the Red Keep, and this is the if you've ever read the book, this is the thing that Tyrion was always bitching and moaning about having to climb the stairs every day, up and down, up and down. This is the place where the Hound and the Mountain do battle, uh, that giant winding spiral stair, uh, and it just looks great. It just mm-hmm. looks great with all those, like I said, braziers in the center, and it just keeps going up and up and up forever. Um, and if the names of the the human characters weren't enough for you to remember, well, we have some dragon names here. Uh, Cyrax is that? Yep. Her Cyrax name? is the yellow yeah. dragon. That's Rhaenyra's steed. They name check us uh, Caraxes, uh, which is mm-hmm. uh, Damon's red worm. Um, I really like the dragon handlers. Uh, they're like speaking Valerian to it. And there's like one scene where Cyrax is kind of being, he doesn't want to get back into his hole. And uh, mm-hmm. the guy says Doharis, which we know means all men must serve. So he's kind of like chiding the dragon. Come on, like, everybody, everybody's got to play their part. Cyrax. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Cyrax kind of shaking his head. Like he's a, is, he's a naughty puppy. I thought that was, was really cool. Yeah. That's the thing that I always try and remember about the dragons is they're very smart. You know, yeah. it's not, it's not like, trying to get a, a dog to do something they're they're way smarter than dogs um yeah maybe not human intelligence but yeah a different kind some, somewhere of intelligence but but 
Yeah, like like a you know an octopus hasn't. I was about to say the same thing. Right? Yeah, like well, I don't know what that means for an octopus to be intelligent, but like it's an alien intelligence, you know? Right. Yeah. So these things are less like pets and more like siblings in a weird sort of way. Uh, I do think as much as I praise the episode so far, for whatever reason, there are some seams in the CG work. I thought particularly jarring was the this great wagon this this great coach that they ride the two two girls get into Mm -hmm. to be taken to the red keep like the lighting on that just didn't quite match everything else and it certainly wasn't a practice something they were practically driving around It, it didn't look like um i think most of the cg was pretty good but like when there was particle effects like smoke and fire it was a little bit weaker too um it might just be a matter of like they had 20 million dollars to spend and they staged a a melee that you know I it like pretty much outdid Ridley Scott's The Last Duel that had sure. five times the budget to spend you know on the movie that so like maybe they just had to make hard calls on stuff but like I was a little surprised at how unfinished some of the CG in fact when I watched it at the at, at the release I thought oh well that's probably they just don't have the final mm-hmm. shader done or something but no it's just uh, I don't know just a little dodgy CG work on that wagon yeah I don't know we've seen such good CG now that if it's even slightly off it's like glaring and I think there were moments like that I, I think that the pan up to the red keep was like mostly there like 99 percent of the way there but that one percent it really sticks out to me um something about the lighting yeah you're right it's it just doesn't quite match the real world conditions there uh but i thought you know the dragons looked excellent i mean i i couldn't even really tell that it was cg dude especially when they were touching and nuzzling them i'm like was Mm -hmm. shocked at how solid they felt Uh, All right, let's move over to King Viserys and his council talking through the concerns of the day, which include the Free City Alliance and his brother Daemon's neglect of his council duties. However, Viserys is more interested in discussing the tournament and the sex of his soon-to-be-born heir. There's some ominous stuff that they're discussing here, especially uh, with the Corlys is bringing up this triarchy led Mm by... Uh, I'm not going to try and say his name. The Crab Feeder. Mm-hmm. Sounds like an interesting guy. Cra- Kragus <laughs> Drahar. Kragus uh, Drahar. Okay. The Crab Feeder. He's apparently brutalizing the pirates of the Stepstones, which is, um, legend has it, Essos and Westeros used to be connected by a stone bridge, um, like an isthmus, uh, the isthmus of Dorne mm-hmm. that you could just walk from one continent to the other. That's how the uh, original that's that's how the uh, first men were originally conquered by the andals you know them coming over and the children in the forest appealed to the old gods and they smashed that isthmus to slow down the advance of of these new men coming to to kick their asses in uh and uh, that that was one of the first alterations to the world they made so now instead of that unbroken isthmus you have these kind of like just dotted aisles and it's a mm-hmm. stri- strategic location because anything coming from the summer sea has to pass through that area and five out of the nine cities trade routes from essos takes them along that isthmus as well uh, and it's it's always historically been a haven of pirates. And every few generations, the pirates get bold enough that someone from Westeros or Essos decides to put an end to it. And Bravos will send the fleet or Volantis will send the fleet or Westeros will send the fleet and tamp it all down. Seems mm-hmm. like we're in that period. And, and Corliss is worried that 
if the uh, if the triarchy gets control of this, then the uh, the, the 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 rates that they can charge for passage or just denying yeah. them access to the yeah. trade routes will essentially bankrupt them. Yeah, they will control the trade routes. Um, and, they, you know, it's one thing to have pirates in there stealing a ship every now and then or some goods. It's another thing to have an iron fist controlling that area. So, yeah, yeah that, that seems potentially troublesome. And Viserys just kind of blows it off. Uh, do you want me do you, would you like to know more about the small council of the I, king here? I want I want to know more about Beesbury. Beesbury, yeah. the master of coin, as best I can tell. Yeah, Lord Beesbury is from the wealthy lands of the Reach, okay. which is ruled by House Tyrell from Highgarden. You'll remember Marjorie sure. and and uh, Lady Olenna, all of them. They always had a, a lot of the crops. Yep, a lot of the, the breadbasket of Westeros. So they they are have have a pretty good uh, claim to trade themselves. Uh, this man is very dutiful and diligent. He's also very old. He served as master of coin for the realm, uh, going back to the days of the old king. Entire his entire adult life, essentially. Hmm. Um, you also see Maester Malos, who is known as the moderating force on the small council. Anytime the passions would flare up, he would urge calm and compromise uh, to avoid. Who gets like unceremoniously interrupted constantly? Never gets a word uh, edgewise. No, that's so. The, this is the guy okay. who's got the maester's chains, and he wears a weird, uh, funny wool oh, cap yeah, yeah. through a lot of the episode. He's the maester. Mm-hmm. That's you're talking about, Lord Lionel Strong. Uh, this <laughs> Lionel Weak. <laughs> well, uh, so he's from the Riverlands, uh, which was ruled by House Tully, which you'll remember Ed Stark. Uh, Ned Stark's wife, Catelyn, was from the the Riverlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a very large, powerful man, uh, known to be a brawler, uh, but he's also a quiet man of few words. And it, he it kind of suits him to let people think that he's a little dull witted and slow because he's actually very sharp and uh, highly educated. Mm-hmm. So people I've like yourself evidence of that. might yeah. underestimate him, Jim. Uh- <laughs> this is true. And then you got Otto, Otto Hightower, which uh, is family that we didn't really get to know much in the original Game of Thrones. Uh, they are the Hightowers. They're the, the rulers of old the city of Old Town, which is kind of like the queen city of the Reach. It's not the capital, but it's the most populous and, and probably the most important city. Um, old Town not only contains one of the oldest and most prosperous ports in all of Westeros, a, a truly ancient seat of power. But also contains the Citadel, which is the home of the Maesters, mm-hmm. which is one of the you know hugely influential political forces of uh, of Westeros. And at this time, it contains the Starry Sept, which is the seat of the High Septon, which is mm-hmm. the most important okay. religion, the the Faith of the Seven, the most important religion of Westeros. You might recall the Great Sept of Baelor that Cersei torched. Uh, that's not doesn't get constructed for another 70 or so years. So this mm-hmm. is still like the ec- one of the economic uh, uh, seats of intellectual and religious power. And the high towers have control over the whole thing. Otto is the brother of the Lord of the high uh, of high tower. So if you know anything about second sons in this world, uh, a lot of times they are a little bit. They're, they're eager and ambitious and they want to prove themselves because they have no position. They have mm-hmm. no place. Might be one of the reasons Allison's so concerned with positions and things because she's heard, you know, her her father fret about, you know, uh, you know, what's he going to do as a second fiddle to the family? Uh, even being hanged the king is not enough for this guy. So um, yeah, that's course. a little background behind. And we already talked. Uh, yeah, we, we already talked about Corliss. He's it. It, I don't know the the names of all the the masters of whatever. I assume he's the master of 
like war or trade or something because that's he's what he's concerned the, with. He's the master of ships and the the Lord Admiral. Ships. So he's uh, he's all, but that's that's what he is in the realm. He's also the Lord of the Tides and Master of Driftmark, which is a hereditary title for the Valerians. That just means he's the head of their house. Uh, Driftmark is their mm-hmm. ancestral castle that's on the island of Driftmark, and um, so those are just his kind of like uh, the same way that uh, Ned is Lord of the Winterfell. You know, uh, another possible confusing name there valerian not to be confused with the other valerian pronounced almost identically right yes but they are related because this um you can tell by their hair uh and the way they carry themselves the valerians are of old valeria they are cousins of the targaryens they came uh over from uh valeria a generation or two before the targaryens and they settled in driftmark which is uh, so, so you got you got the King's Landing, which is in the mouth of the the Blackwater Bay, mm-hmm. and then you also have Dragonstone, which is the huge fortress that's that's in the middle of Dra- uh, Dragons uh, Blackwater Bay. Just slightly inland of that is Driftmark. So the oh. Valerians set up shop there. Later on, their cousins, the Tur- Turkarians, came over and set up shop in Dragonstone, and they've been they've been pretty closely joined at the hip uh, ever ever since. Gotcha. Okay. Um, here's that joke I was talking about in the instant take. Yeah, where we get the punchline. I believe you uh-huh. might be looking up the wrong end. Uh, I do think that is a shout out to Game of Thrones with the jo- the running joke that they had that I think was only ever explained in the very last season. And he did even make because it was so I looked into this and this is where Tyrion like three separate times starts this joke where Uh I I walk into a brothel with a honeycomb and a jackass. Uh Um, I found what is a a, a putative end of this joke and it doesn't seem like it has anything to do with the looking at the wrong end. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, I don't think it's the same joke. I think it's just a. okay. it's a nod to to that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, Sure. So Tyrion. Tyrion walks into a brothel with a honeycomb and a jackass and the madam says, what can I do for you? And Tyrion says, I need a woman to lay with for mine has left me. The madam says, whatever for and what's with your honeycomb and the mule? Tyrion says, well, my woman found a genie in the bottle and he granted her three wishes. The first was for a house fit for a queen. So he gave me or gave her this damn honeycomb. The second wish was that she had the nicest ass in all the land. So he gave her this damn donkey. And the madam says, what about the third wish? And Tyrion says, well, she asked a genie to make my cock hang down past my knees. The madam says, well, that one's not so bad, eh? And Tyrion says, not so bad. I used to be six foot three. <laughs> <Ba-dum>. <laughs> so nice. that's that's the supposed end of this of this joke. Um, All right. It's not it's not canonical, though. So who knows? Sure. Sure. Uh. We'll talk about the the marble things a little bit later because they become more obvious then. But I found it interesting here to see Damon's marble sitting in the middle of the table in a large bowl. Yeah, That'll be- the world's smallest pool table holding his. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. That is interesting. I, I got some notes on that too. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Rhaenyra finding Damon sitting on the throne while no one's looking, and he gives her a Valerian steel necklace. Uh, this, this throne, is cr- man. I it, you might remember this throne from Game of Thrones, but you've not seen it like this. This is so fucking cool. It's interesting because if you look 
Martin's preferred conception of this thing. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, uh, but it's this giant lopsided, like truly monstrous thing. It looks like it's 40, 50 feet tall. Um, it, it bends this way and that, and it looks a, a, just like you took a big pile of swords and you had a br- dragon breathe on it. And someone just kind of sort of hammered a place for someone to sit at. Um, gotcha. It almost seems like that over the years, the Targaryens pruned the throne. Because uh-huh. like if, if that's how Aegon started, like with within George conception and then a hundred years later, it's like, you know, this is cutting too many kings. Great. It's it's this. And then by the time of, of uh, we, we get to the uh, the Baratheon era, they've just like, yeah, it's 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 a lot of the, the, the smooth. A lot of the rough edges have been smoothed over and the sharp edges uh, rounded. Uh, but this is kind of like a halfway point between George's ideal and what we got in the original show. Yeah, I think just the swords spilling out across the floor uh, in all sorts of jagged points is its just a very cool image. I've not seen the gigantic one. Uh, maybe yeah. that's even cooler than more metal, but this is pretty damn metal. Pretty damn metal. It's a its, it's a threatening object. And we see that, like, you know, uh, throne lore says that uh, the Iron Throne can kind of, like, bite the king if they're unworthy. Uh, uh, we saw that uh, Joffrey got a slice clearly an unworthy king uh apparently Viserys has a open sore because of it and you see him get cut at a crucial set scene in this too um I, yeah. I alluded to this in the instant take but um I found um an article where the prop people talk about how they kind of cleverly grabbed as many prop swords from other franchises they mentioned the Witcher show they mentioned the Warcraft movie and they took those uh, and and added it to the throne as if like hmm. Game of Thrones as if the uh, House of the Dragon universe is the you know like it's another they, they've conquered these other fantasy universes right yeah there's uh, a lightsaber in there somewhere I'm sure <laughs> that'd be so fucking cool yeah I, I would love to examine and see because like yeah, yeah i mean if they had like the entire warner brothers prop collection they could pour over that you know they, there's probably some some choice picks in there oh yeah but um i mean the other part of this scene that you know is important is the characterization right this is the first we see of Damon targaryen um and rhaenyra is he seems like other than the fact he's sitting on the throne inappropriately, he seems like a nice enough guy. Um, he's bringing gifts to Rhaenyra, who I think we already like a little bit. Um, yeah, it shows that they have a pretty warm relationship as yeah, the, the uncle and niece. The book mentions that, you know, he's kind of like a doting uncle and and uh, he's always coming back from his far off adventures with exotic gifts from her. This is, mm. is one of those personified um I got to say, I didn't get doting uncle uncle as much as mm, a little, a little bit more too Targaryen of an interest. He's taking in his knees here. Okay. Uh, A little, who's that fucker from uh, uh, the nutcracker Dusselmeyer or whatever. Like, you know, uh, he's like some of the, some of the renditions of that. He takes a little bit too much interest in the young heroine. Um, I, mm-hmm. I'm getting big Dusselmeyer or Dusseldorf or whatever the fuck that guy's uh, clockmaker energy from this guy. Uh, right. You know, when he's putting that necklace on um, saying it's it's something. It's something. Yeah, and they, they do um, they do some work later that maybe, I don't know, diffuses that a little bit because like he's looking for the favor of Alice in Hightower rather than Rhaenyra, right? He doesn't do that during sure. the tournament. So, 
yeah, I, I don't know. I was I was just getting pretty warm relationship here, not necessarily okay. anything creepy, but another thing about his relationship. So his his impudence sitting on the throne, you clearly yeah. that clearly doesn't bother Rhaenyra. Number one, because I don't. They're painting a picture of a young woman who has no designs for the throne. Like sure. all she's heard is her dad worry about having a son. She knows the story of Rhaenys being passed over front and back. Mm-hmm. Um, she's her kind of more of an Arya. Look, give it up. We're we're yeah. the bed, not the battlefield. Yeah. Yeah. And she's more of an Arya figure. She just wants to be able to, you know, kind of make her own way. Mm-hmm. And you see, like she she brings some of Damon's energy into the next scene because you know right. Allison's trying to be dutiful and diligent in her study, and, and she's just like, ah, fuck the Septons and stuff. So that. She likes, I think, her uncle's free spiritedness and he doesn't he's not beholden to be prim or proper or anything mm-hmm. for any anyone that's attractive sure. to her. Yeah. And so far in the episode, he's a big question mark. But I think that question mark straightens out into an exclamation mark at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go over to Allison helping Rhaenyra study her religious texts. But she is distracted by the upcoming birth and being very flippant about it. Turns out she already knows it all anyway. So. Yeah, uh, that's the sitting, key. It's that's she's she's not stupid. She's insolent no, no, and she's very smart actually. You know, f- yeah, flaunts her, you know, n- lack of care, but she also is paying attention, which mm-hmm. is uh the best, you know, the best of both worlds. Someone not taking this stuff too serious, but also taking a little bit serious. Yeah, absolutely. Uh they're sitting here beneath what looks like a weirwood to me, Aaron. Yeah, I, I looked up to make sure I wasn't crazy. I thought this was a song. This was a World of Ice and Fire reference. But no, actually, in one of the POV chapters of Game of Thrones, Ned visits the Godwood with his daughters and he describes it as an acre of elm and alder and black cottonwood overlooking the river, uh, the, the, the black water. And the heart tree there was a great oak, its ancient limbs overgrown with smokeberry vines, the ground below covered in dragon's breath, which is a red flowering plant. Um and then in Game of Thrones, the show, we see Sansa praying in the God's Wood after her father gets killed. And she's praying before just like a, there's a ruins of a garden, like some garden walls that have been shattered. And there's just this giant white stump that's been hacked down. Um, it seems that something violent is going to happen in this location sometime in the next next several seasons. Um, or the next 172 or the next years. T- yeah. I mean, some, something's going to happen. Knows, but- yeah, and I don't. I, I to me, this was just to get those pilot feels of Ned and Catelyn in the God's Wood, and Ned washing ice of its. You know, like this is a because it's it's certainly a minor canonical violation of the the holy text. You know, hmm. okay. And then we go, uh, over but to- the scene is is. I will have to say, this scene is gorgeous. Oh my it god! Is, yeah. the the contrast of the colors, the lighting, everything is just idyllic. Um, I love how it feels like a different location entirely. Like we're not in King's Landing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's also um, in another scene where it shows the two sides of the girls, you know, that uh, Allison's mm-hmm. a little bit more worried um, and uh, Rainier is a little bit more carefree. carefree. The girls are very uh, close and intimate with each other. Uh, they are their best of friends and confidants. Yeah, seems like it. Uh, the doctors inspect a strange wound on Viserys and decide to cauterize it, and Otto tells the doctor to keep it a secret. Uh, I don't know what to make of this, because they never revisit it in the episode. I assume this can't lead anywhere good, though. A strange wound on the king that the doctors don't seem to be able to handle. 
strikes me of like magic perhaps uh like a curse like thing or i think I this know. is all mildly interesting yeah, yeah um of course and <laughs> i am in just curious to see where where it's going to go um yeah. Because to be honest, like there's so little detail about a lot of things in the books that like I yeah, this was kind of like, huh, I, I genuinely wonder where they're going with this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, then we go to Viserys visiting his wife, Ama. Ama, I don't know how to pronounce her name. A-E-M-M-A. During like her bath. Emma with a little bit of a pretense. Yeah. <laughs> and he tells her that he's certain this baby will be a boy because of a dream he's had. And Emma tells Viserys that this will be the last time they try for a child because she's already lost so many. Yeah, this is, you know, sets up a lot of the action and the stakes of the action. Like these are things that Viserys is going to be thinking about when he makes the fateful decision towards the, the, the a little bit later in the episode. Um, but uh, it's it's also interesting because you can tell that it's it's painting Viserys as like the, the the even his wife at this stage is worried about how fixated he is on this male heir, uh, mm-hmm. you know, above concerns he has for her. Even even though clearly he loves her and he's kind of doting on her. Um, yeah. And the other thing I realized on my third watch is I talked shit about his dream coming true. It did. It was just gender swapped. Like all the things he says about his heir being. You know, you got to think of it poetically, but his air being brought forth amidst thundering hooves and splintering uh, spears and ringing shields uh, placed on the Iron Throne as the bells tolled and dragons roared as one as the as the we fade to black on uh, Princess Rhaenyra at the end of this episode. They have the dragons all roaring in the blackness in the background. The bells are tolling to uh, announce the death of the king, the, the queen and, and the, the heir. It's like it came true in the monkey's paw kind of way as so many dreams and visions and game of Thrones do. And and the thing that the, um, Rhaenyra will say later in the episode at the funeral, when she says, I'll never be a son, you know, it is actually wrong. Uh, she, uh, by the end of this has effectively turned into the male heir that he wanted because, you know, she's on the throne. She is the heir, uh, she's being treated with, you know, the respect that a male heir would have gotten, for mm-hmm. better or worse. Um, and yeah, she effectively does become that son that that he has now. So, and, and you, yeah, it's it's dreams are a strange thing; they are open to interpretation. You also, I through this episode, I couldn't help but feel sorry for uh, Emma here, not just for the obvious reason, <laughs> but like when we first see her during the Great uh-huh. Council, she's hugely pregnant. Uh, she talks about how she's had five pregnancies in 10 years, which is essentially you're pregnant all the time. Mm-hmm. And they've, except for Rhaenyra, the sixth one, they've all ended in tragedy, stillbirths, births, miscarriages. It's just it's a miserable, miserable experience for her. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but, but in, by Westeros, so she's been very valent, you know, she's, she's, she, she has been ba- fighting her battles on the, the, the battlefield of the birthing bed for a long time now and, and uh, unsuccessfully and she's, she's tired and uh, it's going to put, uh, it's going to put Viserys in a, a, a bind. I, I hate to spring a pop quiz on you like this, but oh boy, in this scene, there is a line where I think they're talking about Rhaenyra where 
uh, Viserys says this family already has its Visenya. What's the deal with that? What it, I I as a non book reader am not able to pull anything parse anything from that. It doesn't mean anything to me. I think I because I was a little confused by that too. I think they're talking about Rhaenyra's. I, that Visenya was oh. Aegon's more warrior like sister. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that kind of like was fit to rule as a king, but you know, she had Aegon, it was kind of stifled her. Um, hmm. yeah, Aegon okay. loved his younger sister, he didn't really love his older sister. Uh, they married as a kind of like a, a, a way to kind of make keep peace within the family. I think that's what he's referring to. Hmm. Um, but I'm not 100% sure because he could be referring to his own daughter kind of being fiery and warrior like and right but I don't, I, I don't think so it, it, it seems like especially when they describe uh rain is as a young you know when she wore full plate armor and she was riding into battle on her dragon and whatnot like she does seem like a very vicinia type of figure very powerful strong confident um okay. but i don't know that was my guess gotcha no the, the context for vicinia was what i needed there and i think i got it um, let's go over to Damon leading the city watch into the city and wreaking havoc, dismembering and murdering scores of people who presumably have committed some kind of crime deserving of it. I don't know. It's hard to tell. This strikes me as like total authoritarian hellscape. Um, yeah. This is, we own the city, you yeah, know, like we, yeah. we, 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 the David Simon show from this uh, spring and summer where like the Baltimore police would just go and declare, a couple mm-hmm. square city blocks as in, in, in indicted and just like just start beating the shit out of people like get the fuck off the street get the fuck off the street get the fuck off our streets pow 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 if we have to and um i get the idea that like there was probably a lot of crime like i don't i don't think damon's making it up when he says the king's landing is kind of like a cesspool and uh sure, you know sure. the small folks see it as a terrifying and lawless place but just like in a real life when you're dealing with places like Baltimore, that can be true. The citizens see stuff as lawless and terrifying, but mm-hmm. also the response can be disproportionate and terrifying as well. Um, yeah. And I think they're, they're definitely, definitely telling that. I also thought it was interesting that like we get an idea of, of uh, um, Damon's battle armor his jousting armor's got the ridiculous wings. This one doesn't. It's got a prominent yeah, yeah. dragon head on it, but it's a lot more sleek and streamlined and not going to catch on cloaks and things. And <laughs> Right. No, this looks so, better, in my opinion. And uh, we see him wield that dark sister, that uh, the, the second of the great ancestral blades of the Targaryen family. Uh, of course, Viserys, as the, the leader, has Blackfire, Aegon sword, but this is Visenya's mm. uh, uh, sword, uh, Valerian steel sword, and he snicker snacks some alleged murderer's head right off of his body. Um, yeah. Did you hear the fart this time, Jim? Cause when I, I uh, yeah, I, I watched the second two subsequent watches. I watched uh, with headphones and it's still prominent in the mix. What, what do you think? What do you think I, of the fart? So here, here's the deal with the fart. I, <laughs> I like a little juvenile humor in my shows sure. from time to time. And Game of Thrones did this. Don't think the Game of Thrones was immune to the juvenile humor. Look at the Sam episode where he's in the Citadel and he is just cleaning uh, the latrines. He's cleaning sure. vomit, his own vomit as yeah. he's vomiting into the vomit. It's yeah, they, they do this stuff and I'm totally cool with it. I mean, they're going to cut off the man's cock in a second and zoom in on it. So like, 
Yeah, Fear not fart. a problem. The fart worked for me. Okay, because I, I thought the fart was jarring. And I, I agree <laughs> that that jarring, pedigree. Sure. I agree uh-huh. with that pedigree. I just felt like this was an overly serious scene and a brutal scene. <laughs> and it, it, it had the fart, you know? You're not wrong, but we're going to get a way more serious and brutal scene here in a bit. So yeah, and what if like there, was, there was a what a if that was punctuated by a shattering <laughs> fart, you know, at the end of it? Like, no, that's it would take away from it the would. messaging, I would say. But absolutely, yeah, I, I don't know what possessed him to put that in there, but I'm fine with it. It's a bit of comedy. Uh, that meat wagon, though, man, that's fucking gruesome, boy. Uh, mm. All right, let's move over to uh, the after the city's watch slaughter city watches slaughter uh the council asks damon to explain himself and damon says look i'm just cleaning up the city to protect the lords that are traveling to king's landing for the tournament and viserys is like all right just don't let it happen again yeah pretty much uh there's he's he's giving uh, his his brother a lot of latitude here it seems and especially he's asking a lot of auto because, you know, Damon does needles and needles and needles this guy. Oh, yeah. This um, conversation about their wives is like, man, what the fuck? The man just lost his wife. He clearly loved her. And you're throwing this back in his face because these guys. But they like um, you're really getting an idea that there's a rivalry here, you know, mm-hmm. that um, and, and maybe they're both a little unfair. Like, I totally. wonder how much of what Damon says at the end of this episode is true. That, like, mm-hmm. he has been pushed into this bad behavior out of kind of, like, younger brother desperation for approval and affection. And every time the auto gets gripped up and sees him do a mistake and he pushes him further away, it's Damon that much more desperate to get back into his brother's graces. Um Sure. At the same but, time, I don't think you can excuse your own behavior. No, 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 uh, no, no, no. I'm not. And I'm not excusing excuse the way you react to people's provocations. Right. And I think that the Viserys should do a better job at reigning, you know, but he's, you know, he's always describing the book as unwilling to do that because he has I mean, his brother got along great in their younger years. And he still sees that kind of carefree. Uh, it's the same. It's like the Damon is Rhaenyra when he was younger, like he's got that carefree, irrepressible, smart ass kind of way about him. And Viserys always enjoyed that. He sees it echoed in his daughter and he doesn't want to kind of extinguish that. Um, gotcha. but sense. Damon also is getting to be a danger, da- pretty dangerous, you know, uh, for a man child, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, between these two scenes, I'm thinking, okay, Damon is a villain, a, a very clear villain. He's, there will there is no way you can code villain faster than indiscriminate slaughter of innocence and yeah. that is what i viewed the previous scene as so mm. you know i i'm not giving him a lot of latitude though at the end of the episode i am imagining that some of what he's saying is true even if he's being an asshole the entire time yeah. and even asshole even if it is all true what you say like even you know an asshole can still love their family and sure. not and it doesn't justify take- your yeah. your actions entirely you know yeah um so very I clear do, villain there they're doing a great job setting him up as a guy that i want to hate um yeah but, but maybe has like a kernel of truth to him that's a not sympathetic villain but more like a a villain with um a good eye on the truth yeah. of the matter 
um, he made a mention of his wife being the bronze bitch. Uh, his wife is from the Vale, which is home of the Eerie, which you'll recall Caitlin's sister, Lysa, the the uh, uh, <laughs> not the crab feeder, the breast feeder. Uh, mm-hmm. That's uh, with the sky cells and all that. That's where this. Uh, th- 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 that's that's where she is from, and they called her Bronze Bitch because uh, she's a Royce, and the Royce, uh, their household wears very distinctive bronze runic armor. Uh, so he's uh, taking taking a piss out of her right there, and mm-hmm. uh, it'll be interesting. I'm I'm curious to see whether we get to meet uh, this this lady. And what it's going to look like when Damon shows up with Red Worm and Miss Missaria in tow? Because uh, these, like from the books, like it's not like they Say hated what? each other, but they. Uh, <laughs> okay. Oh, at the end where he rides off with his dragon with his, uh, you know, sex worker friend. Oh, he's going to okay. his. He's going to his wife. So I don't know that they ever say her name in this episode. I, do maybe they? they didn't, but I'm just. Okay. But yeah, that's that's definitely Missaria is her name. Um. Anyway, I uh, I forget what I was going to talk about. Oh, we were going to talk about the marbles, the little stones. Yeah, the council's small balls, from what I hear. So I got I got two different sources. One was a uh, a gym crafter in uh, the uh, Game of Thrones subreddit uh, said that these are septarian concretions. Which is a form of mineral deposit that forms in sedimentary rocks. There's like kind of spherical, natural things that get shot through with different minerals that leach into them. And their common term here on on Earth, on planet Earth, is dragonstone. Okay. Which is kind of cool because those different mineral deposits form these kind of geometric fractured patterns that people think look like lizard scales or dragon scales, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of cool. And also, like, they're called septarians which I thought might have a connection to the faith of the seven, the septons and all that, the septs and the septas. But it turns out the etymology of that word is from uh, septum, S-A-E-P-T-U-M, which is Latin for uh, like fenced in and closed, partitioned, referring to those geometric patterns and not septum, S-E-P-T-E-M, which means the number seven. But gotcha. still, it's kind of cool. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, probably why they chose this particular mineral for it. This is not anything from the books. This is new lore invented for the show. Mm-hmm. And Ryan Condal, the showrunner, said that he wanted a ritual like employees punching into a punch clock to kind of like mentally shift from whatever you were doing to like the realm's business. And this is and it's also it's conspicuous that you see Damon's absent, you know, that his marble yeah, still exactly. left in the middle where they there's this padded area where they they keep all their balls when they're not being in their 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 placeholders um i think it's kind of cool built building a little bit of uh lore for the show yeah it brings a sense of formality to the the council meetings you know in in a a council meeting that could go a little bit awry um you still got the formality of the ball sitting in front of them there makes me wonder what other procedures there'll be like will some look a lord commander take someone's ball to eject them uh, can can yeah, uh, yeah like, like I said in the instant take this might be proof of um, the ability to speak for someone like they they can convey a lot of authority maybe by possessing one of these um, it's possible yeah and no, it very, doesn't seem like they're curious. intended to ever leave that chamber though right because the, yeah. the there's a pool in the middle a bowl in the middle where they put all of them when they're not directly in front of them 
It seems to be. It seems to be. But I don't know whether they in like how how strong is the security of this council? Because Damon just is nakedly eavesdropping at one point. You oh, know, can God. someone sneak and in and in steal a marble? Did you see him what? in the background of that scene, man? Uh yeah, no yeah. Wait, are like you can the, see him when they're showing like shots of of one of the the, the maester maybe or something. You is can it see that his obvious? stupid oh, hair shit. in the background being highlighted by the light. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> these master idiots weren't so in, master in their whispers. own concerns they would notice this guy they need a yeah. Varus they need a they Varus do. to just point out hey your, your brother <laughs> your brother's right I see him his wigs glowing like the fucking beacon of Hightower dude <laughs> right anyway uh, let's go to Damon in the brothel where he's unable to perform because he's preoccupied with the potential new heir and his companion Maceris is that what you said Maceria Masseria uh, tries to comfort him. Guess I guess yeah. Damon likes an audience for both his killing and his fucking because is this his OnlyFans account? Is this like <laughs> is he making money off this? Is he taking tips? Maybe or maybe he just is that. Like, watching with their hands that over their mouths like oh which is fine but like do you want the whole kingdom to watch you like fail to arrive because you are so wounded by because right. that's the thing as like, he plays he he, wa- he bops out of that chamber like ah oh, you guys and your fucking small council shit Ugh, fuck you but it it wounds him yeah. To the point where he can't he can't arrive uh, with his lover here, uh, and they play him just like a like this little boy who wants that approval and he's not gotten it. He's um, and she's like you know chuffing him up like oh you know the king he can't replace you you're the prince or this or that yeah uh, yeah he tries to arrange a silver haired maiden perhaps for him perhaps more but no it's, he just wants he just wants his brother's love and respect yeah. All right, then the tournament begins. Um, I'm gonna. So these scenes are kind of overlapped. They're they're intercut between the two. I'm going to consider all the action at the tournament first, and then we're going to consider all of the action uh, on the other battlefield, the bed. After that, and maybe we can talk about how they relate to each other because they're it's kind of important the way they're intercut. Oh, 100 percent. It's impossible to recap. So it's one of the we're going to destroy one of the best pieces of art by recapping <laughs> right. it this way. But but yeah, we're I, I, I agree with Jim. It's it's a hard one to do otherwise. Uh, the tournament begins. Sir Kristen Cole kicks the Baratheon's asses. Damon kicks the ass of the hand of the king's eldest son, Gawain Hightower. Maybe Gawain is murdered. I, I can't tell once once all the crazy fighting begins because the king is called away and the competition turns into a war zone. Uh, just sirs and knights and lords murdering each other on the the field and nobody's there to stop it uh it dies down and just enough for another joust between Kristen cole and damon and then Kristen kicks damon's ass oh boy does he what a fight that like from yeah. damon grinding the rail dude and- i love that shot and then hits the ground like a ton of bricks. Mm-hmm. And you'd think like, oh, my God, he'd be winded. But no, he pops right up, demands a sword because that's a Lord's right. If you get unseated, it can end there. Or you can be like, no, fuck, no. Get off your horse. I'm going to beat you on the second round. You know, it's like yeah. a boss battle. They just they switched switched uh, moves and tactics. And then he gets his ass uh, kicked again. And Sir Kristen Cole's got this very brutal morning star, which I always think is like a ridiculous weapon, like get a mace dude 
if you're going to if you're going to or a warhammer this, well, you this can really flailing whip that thing around right like you get, can and, and a lot more speed and from the the end I, I name check my man at matt eastman he's my go-to expert for medieval combat and he says the one thing that those things are useful for is getting around like a large shield mm. uh, because they can yeah. like strike and come around and like you know break an arm incapacitate uh, still get a lick in where something else would, would be deflected so it'd be appropriate to use in in this area and you also see him because able to grapple dark sister and get it away from Damon but like they kind of out Ridley Scott Ridley Scott like this is just as good uh, as the last duel maybe that the emotional buildup yeah, yeah. Um, that, right. that's de- depicted in that. Um, but yeah, we, we both saw it. I think we did a podcast on it and uh-huh. that was one of the most thrilling pieces of medieval combat. And this episode kind of equals, if not bests it uh, for oh, sure. kind of a fraction of the budget. So I thought that was impressive. Uh, Sir Kristen Cole is very interesting. They do a very good job of explaining that he is essentially come from nobody. He's base born or perhaps a bastard child of a Lord. Uh, he's a Dornish who's still kind of outsiders in Westerosi culture because they haven't yet kneeled to the Targaryens. Um, and he, yeah, he whips the Baratheon's ass. I also thought they did some interesting work with the Baratheons there that like you've got this elder Baratheon pledging his support to the queen that never was. And then he gets unceremoniously mm-hmm. dis- dismounted by a knight no one's ever heard of. And Corliss and Renice are like, yeah, that's. That's our supporters. What are you going to do? You know, <laughs> like they mean well, but they can't they can't back up uh, anything. Uh, sure. And which, a, lo- a lot of that is interesting. And then the, the more subtle looks that people are giving and then the the way that Viserys allows open hostility toward his family here is surprising to me. It's something I'm not used to seeing from the kings of Westeros. But it does kind of lean on Tywin's wisdom of a man who must loudly declare, I'm the king, I'm the king, I'm the king, is like no king at all. So he's kind of like, yeah, let them wag their tongues. I'm the king. Like, I think there is confidence to a certain point. But yeah, it's borderline treasonous for the support. Openly, yeah. It's not not like something that, oh, I I heard somebody said this about your wife or your cousin. It's, It's right to their faces. It was kind of shocking yeah. that he does absolutely nothing, but it's going to be even more shocking that it, that nothing is done by the end of this scene because there are literally lords murdering each other, uh, mm-hmm. knights murdering each other on this d- during this tournament, and yeah. no one seems to care enough to to put this down. And they couch it in, well, the realm has had peace for so long that these inherently violent men or ambitious men or the, the people who thirst for blood have not been satiated and so it's all coming out here that's fine is this the place for it to come out i don't think so yeah. as, as corliss says this is an auspicious start to the the, the new heir's life right and i i do love corliss and Rainus's kind of demeanor like they're the old married couple who are just talking mad shit behind everyone's back and like <laughs> uh-huh. laughing at everything going on but they they make some astute ju- uh, observations like you said you know that these guys are are playing are playing at war um in a way that is completely out of you know 
any kind of like what you would think is a celebration of life. And and it's a tragic because now people are dying. They probably shouldn't have to. They shouldn't be dying at a tournament. You know, no, I was uh, it's always kind of frowned on. You know, they, these are not usually a to the death type of affair. And it seems like Damon kind of starts it. He like that, that uh, him tripping the guy's horse. And uh, I don't think Wayne Hightower died. That's not the reaction that I got from Hightower of his his heir okay. dying. Um, yeah, yeah. But it is definitely a breach of etiquette and the king just studiously ignores it, you know, doesn't cheer yeah. it, doesn't he just like kind of deadpans and lets it happen. And I feel like the tourney kind of devolves from there. It just gets more and more brutal and underhanded. Yeah. And he's given yeah. him permission to by by his silence. Uh, do you think he's remained silent here simply because it's his brother? Yes. Or simply because or also maybe he agrees a little bit with what Corliss says that like we need an outlet for an otherwise violent uh, group of people. It might be a little bit of uh, a little bit about that too, that he recognizes that, you know, Hey, if uh, Damon didn't kill the kid, maybe that'd be one thing. He tripped him, wounded his pride, bashed up his face a little bit, but like, you know, Otto and him, this is kind of how Otto and boys will be boys kind of bullshit. But, uh, and they do seem would happy be. when he's unhorsed, right? When he slides down that rail, they oh yeah, they give a little bit more than just a, a obligatory applause. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I yeah, I, I thought um, I thought it was pretty. Like I said, I think I think we've talked about just the POV jousting, the slow motion, um, just just how skillful they do this this whole thing um and they do characterization work in here too it's not it's not all just action and cool stuff um the fact that damon you know gets unhorsed and then goes at Kristen cole and i i think you know if he wanted to follow up he could have beat him here but instead he celebrates right he turns to the crowd raises his arms and shades of oberon yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I was I, that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, oh, you're going to get fucking smashed and he does. But also I was thinking then it was sort of another Oberon thing because uh he's got, you know, his uh Kristen Cole has his foot on his arm. Um and I'm thinking, okay, as soon as you let him up, he's going to get up and crush you again. So mm-hmm. you need to finish this. Um but he doesn't, which that was super interesting to me that Damon does not pursue this beyond that second humiliation. So it shows that he is not purely anger driven, which I think is important. Yeah. He is. He smart reads the room. He hears the crowd in. cheering. He knows that like, uh, you know, he can't get away with murdering this guy, you know, even though he he's might not want even sure to. he could murder him. Maybe I, that's true I too, because that's the other thing is like, he doesn't like, he just keeps pulling daggers and trying to stab Cole and Cole just uh, like, just like that. Stop this shit. Stop. Just knocks him all of his hand and then finally <laughs> steps on it and cocks back the morning star. Like, do you want this buddy? Cause you're yeah. about to get it. And he finally, you're right. I think he might be like, yeah, uh, he was out of weapons. Uh, he did. He, he did. Yeah. Cole just beat him down fair and square. Took a couple shots yeah. too. It wasn't like uh, he caught Damon by surprise. Like Damon had a couple good, good hard blows on him too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm getting a lot of Jamie Lannister energy from Damon and I think that's sure. natural. Swagger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing I'm not getting is that he is the best in the land with a sword, which you get from Jamie Lannister, right? That's his reputation. Here, I'm not 
entirely certain that he's the best. I think he's very good, but I don't think he has that reputation that Jamie did. It's interesting. That's unfortunate because you are supposed to understand that Damon is one of the preemptive. Yeah, he is one of the best okay, in so, the, the realm. So Chris Cole, Cole is just beating a him badass. here is a fluke or not a fluke, not but it's fluke, like it's just yeah, it'd be like uh, you know Jamie Lannister. Yeah, like like uh, Jamie Lannister as a young knight beating uh, Barristan Selmy, which I think that okay. did happen. Um, but it'd be something like that where it's like, yeah, it's an upset, but it says more about this upcoming kid than it does about Damon. Sure, it's the, the Lord of Gelderland or whatever. Uh, yeah, from <laughs> a Knight's Tale. Yeah. So I I I think that's what you're supposed because yeah, Damon's always been portrayed as like a real beast. You know, uh, okay. he was a knight from young uh, from from his youth. He was awarded Dark Sister at the age of 16 to recognize his prowess, and you give him the, one of the best blades in the land on top of his skill. Um, so yeah, well, we, and, and I imagine we'll see more of that going forward since this is ostensibly a, a show about the Targaryen civil war. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to note here uh, that I was watching very closely is the people who are giving their favor to the different knights. Um, you know, we talked kind of about the one sure. with uh, Rhaenys gives her favor to the Baratheon who's then summarily <laughs> destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, the one we didn't talk about is Alicent giving her favor to Damon after he just kicked the ass of Otto's eldest son uh, sure in the you know shittiest way possible Otto dying inside (sighs) as she looks at him like you know because he clearly with every fiber of his being doesn't want her to do this but he knows he can't actually speak the words and but it's just yeah it's killing him to see his daughter give her this favor yeah and it's it's just giving life to Damon to to make her give him this favor, which is why he's doing Otto it. Watches, I know, I know. Yeah. he's a shit. I hate him already. Um, and then you know, Ray Rhaenyra giving favor to uh, Kristen Cole, I think, is also interesting. Um, Especially since he's I can't definitely get a good read on her. He's definitely kind of like positioned as the Knight of Flowers, the Lawrence Tyrell. He's just this. He's the he's the dreamboat. Yeah. Oh, totally. Oh my gosh, look at the dark hair and the dark eyes and the strong cheekbones and the oh my gosh, filling out that mismatched uh, baseborn armor of his. Yeah, he's. Yeah, uh, I mean, if if there was ever a visually more uh, visually more contrasting person to Daemon Targaryen, it's this guy, right? Sure. Yeah, like I would not yeah. call Damon Targaryen conventionally handsome. He's got this very light hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got this very light skin, and then this other dude takes off his helmet. He's the exact inverse, yeah, of him. Yeah, so find that interesting. I, I think uh, he's like definitely got to keep your keep your eye on because he's got some skill with that Morning Star, and uh, looks like uh, the fascination of some of the young ladies of Westeros here. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the other part of this scene. Uh, Viserys is told that there's a complication with the birth and so he leaves the tournament to be with his wife Uh, he finds out there's a chance that they can save the child but they'll have to kill his wife to do it and he makes the call they cut the baby out over his wife's objections it's a boy which Viserys names Balon which is his father's name uh, turns out Uh, you know Ryan Condal framed this as 
uh, in the behind the scenes is like, well, Viserys knew his wife was going to die either way. Mm-hmm. I don't agree that that's the story that the show told. I think what the maester says is you have to choose right now. One of them is going to die. The baby, because we'll have to take it out in the way that it's not going to survive. Uh, or the mother and the serious. And, and I feel like the way Ryan framed that takes away from what you're supposed to understand, which you can, you know, I, I saw a lot of people taking this a lot of different ways. Sure. And I think the way I see it is a man who definitely loves his wife, but is that's not the most important thing to him. Yep. The most important thing to him is, is securing his dynasty and his line. And his wife is going to have to be a sacrifice that he's willing to make. It doesn't matter what she's willing to do. And that's the that's the real tragedy is that this poor woman's so doped up. She's high on the pot, milk of the poppy. Uh, the, um, and she doesn't know the danger until it's already there. And then she's terrified out of her mind. Yeah, like yeah. the septas Jeez. in the room are swooning. How awful it all is. It's it's terrible. And I I, I tried in the preseason coverage that kind of warn the, the the ladies of the audience about what's coming without actually spoiling and, and getting uh, Warner Brothers pissed off. But like, mm-hmm. I thought that was wild how open the showrunners were about there's no sexual violence in this season. And I don't know that this is strictly speaking gen- uh, sexual violence. It's certainly gendered yeah. violence. And mm-hmm. it's certainly in a reproductive setting. And with the backdrop of, you know, everything um boy i i was just thinking like what would it be like to be seven eight nine months pregnant and watch this fucking thing yeah like it's nightmare no, it's, fuel it, it's hard for me as someone who will never be pregnant to watch this sure happen. uh this is easily the most harrowing scene in the episode it's yeah it's a a great scene too i think like if you can get if you can stomach it um and you can watch this thing i think it's an amazing scene because it has you calling back to the scene in the bath where she tells him this is the last time I'm not doing this again. And so his yeah. decision to try and save this baby is all the more horrible because she's almost sealed her own fate in that previous scene. Right there. And you can kind of see that calculation going in his eyes. Yeah. And that's like I, I it's hard to not watch the scene and feel different. Like, you know, you're watching this guy peel mm-hmm. an egg and make a joke about lo- looking up the wrong ends and everybody's laughing and everybody's having fun. And then you see. And I guess it's like it'd be one thing. This guy's like Tywin. Because Tywin walks in that bedchamber, there's there's no question what's going to happen because he just doesn't right. give a fuck, right? He's but all Viserys, about the dynasty, yeah. He's all about the dynasty, and he wears it on his sleeve, and you know he doesn't he give a shit about any even his own opinion. Like mm-hmm. he would he would say yeah. So like, but it's different because I think Viserys is a different kind of guy. Like he, as Damon says, is so much weaker, and he wants to kind of get along. And he's trying to find a thing that makes everybody happy, and here he just throws away everything what his wife wants, and, and to no end. Yeah, which makes it tragic. But like, yeah, it's it's hard to watch the scene and not come away thinking ill of Viserys. Absolutely. Yeah, I was all on board with him. Ninety uh, percent on board with him, and this knocked it down quite a bit. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a tough scene to watch. Uh, I I kind of felt it it coming. I when I realized, okay, there's going to be a medieval C section here, like. This can't go well for anybody, yeah, but and, it was even worse than I expected with her pleading. Her pleading is what got me. It's it's yeah, hard to watch. Yeah. And, and seeing this in a theater with hundreds of people, there was like an audible <sighs> gasp when it I went bet. to the next scene and you saw the two bodies on the pier that like you went through all that and yeah. literally for nothing, you know, 
if he had gone the other because that's the thing it's literally for nothing because mm-hmm. if he'd gone the other way and said, okay, save my wife, you know, maybe because, you know, maybe she changes her mind. Maybe she uh, d- d- just wants to try again for the good of the realm because I don't know that she wants to see Damon on Iron Throne or they could just do an audible and, and they're that worried about to put Rhaenyra on the throne, which they did anyway. Like this right, literally right. helped no one murdered his wife. And it's yeah, it's it's just a, it's just a tra- it's just a waste, man. And it's it is, I, th- I, I think, I for my money. You. Uh, I don't know if it's the most brutal because I'd have to go through and see, you know, there's some some crazy shit in some of the seasons of Game of Thrones, but it's got to be top five, if not top three. Yeah, it's up there. Uh, this is episode one. So uh, strap in. Yeah. And like, you know, Jawadi went for broke. Like I thought it was a wise decision yeah. to drop the vocal slowly because that was a lot. Her screaming and everyone screaming and then like just the music and the ju- and juxtaposition of the violence, the the yep. fake violence on the battlefield. That's that's real. And these men throwing their lives away for nothing but pride and ambition. And then a woman who's having her life thrown away over essentially the same issue. And, you know, at least the guys signed up for this shit, you know, Um Sure. Yeah, no, the, it's the, the intercutting of this is super important because of the the stuff that they said earlier about the bed being the women's battlefield. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There, there are two battlefields here going on, and uh, I, I think thematically, that's important and and interesting. But yeah, I boy, I had a hard time <laughs> it, watching that one. It's also it continues led down to like Damon celebrating too early the defeat of Kristen Cole is mirrored with oh, like yeah. the maester and Viserion being relieved that at least the male is is and just as Cole gets up the club from behind they cut to the maester kind of starting to look at the baby and you hear the kids cries start to get raspy and choked and then they just mm-hmm. smash cut to the funeral pier- pyre and oof. yeah so let's talk about that uh, next up is the funeral for Viserys' wife oh and the baby turns out Balon only lived for a day uh, they have uh, Cyrax come in and Dracarys uh, both of them both of their corpses yeah I, this is interesting Targaryen happens, funeral custom uh-huh. uh huh but when that happens both Viserys and Rhaenyra look away you know and it's mm-hmm. not necessarily because of the heat i mean targaryen's famously immune to heat right mm-hmm. um you can see it later when he's holding his hands over the flames of the candles uh to me this is this is an emotional looking away and you can see that because damon also is is there but he's not looking away he's looking at them and i think that's that's important right there they seem affected by this but he seems more like affected by them being affected by it he's like one step removed from this almost it's his reaction to this is very and he's probably conflicted right like i think he is happy that he's still the heir but he's also genuinely devastated on behalf of his daughter and uh or not daughter his his brother and niece and he goes and he says you know he says all the right things the rhaenyra like your father needs you now more than ever you've got to be strong for him uh he defends his brother um so yeah, I think they're really painting a complex portrait of Damon here. Mm-hmm. 
I also think that they did like uh, the, the they, they did a really good job of Rhaenyra like starting at her slowly dawning realization as all the important Targaryens are coming out of the the royal box at the tournament and the look on her face of like realizing oh yeah. shit something's wrong and that going into and she's got complex feelings the fact that like you know she's bitter towards her father that like kind of kind of got to blame the like is your mother dead like this is now the sixth child that yeah. he's trying to wring out of her to get an heir like would you know and you've seen her suffer all this time like there's there's obviously some bitterness there the fact that she's been neglected as their child this this whole time too um apparently like overlooked yeah it's super complicated cuz um cuz cuz of two previous scenes one scene where she's you know in the the uh garden whatever with uh Allison and she's talking about how she's sad for her dad that he doesn't have an heir and happy for him that he might get one here and hopes it's a boy uh, for his sake. But then her mother has said that she's already named the child and she's certain it'll be a girl. It's there are conflicting ideas here mm-hmm. that I'm getting from Rhaenyra. So I really don't have a strong read on her yet other than, yeah. you know, she's an Arya uh, archetype. Sure. And she loves her how mom. She feels about any of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, and she probably doesn't either. There's a lot of complex emotions here. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to getting more in her head in the next few episodes. Um, then we go over to the council convening to discuss who the next heir should be. Uh, seems a little premature, but they make the argument against Damon and for Rhaenyra. There's even some Rhaenys talk in the mix. Coralus is getting mm-hmm. in there with that. Uh, the king gets pissed off and leaves the meeting. Rightfully so. I mean, this Which is fair enough after their funeral. Yeah, and and my, so my my read is I don't think Damon tries to kill Viserys. I think that's a. I don't think that's on his mind at all. And the whole yes, reason but. that Otto is being pushy and making him the king come out of his grieving chambers to come and deal with this this night is because mm-hmm. he thinks that's a chance of that. Yeah, and yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, I'm not even saying he's wrong because it's not like I don't think it's within the Damon's performance envelope. It's just more of like this mutual distrust is driving the extremity of the action. Mm-hmm. You know, like Otto, it's like, what are the odds that my king's going to be murdered tonight by Damon? Probably, I don't know, one in a thousand. Maybe I give the king a night before we talk about this very important issue. But like bringing yeah. him in and putting him in that spot and, you know, he's an emotional guy and he's putting him... Uh, it's it's just too much, and the king says, "Fuck this, I'm out." It's uh, clearly for personal reasons. I mean, you look at um, all the shit talking they've done of Damon, and you imagine if he were to take over as king, that they would be out of jobs at best. Oh, for sure. So there's a, lo- if, a lot of like personal stuff, if going not on heads here. on spikes, you know. Uh huh. Absolutely. And uh, the whole, you know, and Viserys is a little silly too. Like there's that line where he goes, oh, Damon doesn't have the patience to sit the Iron Throne and Otto shoots back. The gods have yet to create a man lacking the patience for absolute power. I thought that was a great line. That's what I was Uh, talking about with that dialogue. It's so good. And Damon smirking behind, which, you know, again, the security (laughs) of the small council chambers, I... I don't know, but like him smirking to hear his brother being kind of this naive about him. But also yeah. I think he's he I think he's got upset and angry at the idea that he would kill his brother too. Like Kinslaying is a pretty big taboo in Westeros, you'll recall. Mm-hmm. You know, like damn, you're thinking pretty low of Damon, but uh, maybe he deserves it. Yeah, they mentioned uh Damon will be a second Magor. I don't know who that is. 
but I'm certain book readers. He's do. the he's the you know the 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 seventy realm the years of peace that the realm has experienced. Uh-huh. He was the king that died seven years ago that allowed that uh-huh. to happen. He's universally seen as this shitty, terrible king. He built the red gotcha. keep. Uh, yeah, that's okay. his big contribution to the lore. But Ma- Magor is uh, the cruel. They call him. Ah, <laughs> well, that explains yeah. it. Yeah. All right, let's go over to Otto sending a message home to Old Town and his daughter into his king's cha- into the king's chambers to comfort him while wearing one of her mother's dresses. She goes to him with a history book and he welcomes her inside. Yikes. Uh, yeah. Raven to Old Town. Am I supposed to be picking up on some subterfuge here or is this simply saying, hey, there's a new heir and and the eldest son well, defeated in battle interesting. Update, or is this something more sinister it's interesting and not in just a mildly sense of the word the mildly interesting sense of the word um who would he be communicating with because they've established in this episode that every important lord and lady is in the capital city here for this tournament here to see huh. the heir yeah. being born so True. what and presumably his older brother, who is the current Lord of High, the Hightower, uh, he's got the head maester at his side. Like, mm-hmm. so is he, you know, conferring is, does he need the services of the Septon? Like, I, I don't know. And this is something that seems to be invented for the show. I don't, I don't recall there okay. being a, a secret Raven being sent, but they're just showing that Otto, he's got, he's got, he, this is uh, the old uh, proverb, Chinese proverb that the Chinese word for danger or uh, opportunity is, is, or wait, the, what is it? The, no the Chinese word for opportunity is, is, is danger and crisis or crisis and opportunity. Fuck. Oh, okay. I've forgotten it. Anyway, here's a crisis and he sees the opportunity in it. He sees the opportunity yes. to boost the high towers even further he's pimping his daughter out explicitly to do so he knows it without saying it she knows it without hearing it and uh i felt for her because here's this girl she's uh, by the way supposedly these women are supposed to be 14 at this age uh someone someone said that they suggested 18 uh and that's wrong they're they're 14 to 15 years old in the show okay and you see this girl who's still biting her nails still has a lot of girlish habits um going to be sent to seduce this man and she sits as far away on that carving table as she can and she's clearly nervous but doing a good job of being comforting without you know the the gross aspect of it and um Man, it just felt like a. It felt like seeing a, a, a green soldier being sent in the battle, and the fact that her father yeah. did it to her is. Uh, it should change how you feel about Otto, to be uh, to, to be frank. Yeah, I'm not getting a good vibe off Otto, um, especially to wear one of your mother's dresses. He just name checked yeah. his dead mother and how he's been thinking of her, and just. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta say this model. That Viserys is making is fucking sweet. It looks like Badass. it's carved out of stone. Like he's chiseling away at that thing. This is awesome. Uh, supposed to I'm, be old Valeria is. I know. I, nah, I disagree. That? Does someone suggest okay. that in chat the other night? I, I think yeah. it's 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 Dragonstone. If Dragonstone, you Google okay. Dragonstone as depicted on the show, like it's got those very prominent, sharp prow looking things coming off of it. Um, yeah, it looks nothing like either King's Landing or Old Valeria. So I'm 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 okay. I'm putting my 99% sure on Dragonstone. Yeah. 
Um, and then there's this ring that he's handling, which I think is one of Ama's rings, if yep. I had to guess. Yep. It has a B or something on it. I don't know. It, I'm looking their... for this ring to be important later. Oh, we'll I see. see. I it, it might be, but I just saw it's like he's thinking of his wife. And also, I think course, it's cool yeah. because if this is Dragonstone, again, I'm 99% sure Dragonstone is important because it is the traditional seat of uh, the the heir of the Iron Throne. That's where the heir stays. That's their house. Um, gotcha. So like him working in his grief is showing where his mind is going to. He's still obsessing and ruminating over what am I going to do for an heir? What am I going to do for an heir? Gotcha. Um, All right. Well, let's go over to Damon having a hard time enjoying the party that he's thrown for the city watch at the brothel. But he is convinced to give a speech. And at the council meeting the next day, Otto reports that Damon called Balon heir for a day. And Viserys is pissed off. He calls Damon to the throne room and confronts him about it. Damon deflects by getting angry that his brother never made him the hand of the king, claiming that Viserys needs his protection. And in response, Viserys sends him home to Runestone, no longer the heir to the throne. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure uh, out in these scenes if Damon is actually sad or if he's just acting. And it's ambiguous. But I, I think is there ambiguous. is a tinge of sadness there. I, my read is that he is sad and he would rather not make a public statement, but like, it's mm. one of those things where he is who he is and he probably did make, he maybe started off to say something sincere and profound and it came across as a Jape. Um, it could be that he did book this to celebrate with his men, um, you know, all kinds of different things. And it just like bad. It's, it's, you know, he, he booked this to celebrate their night of butchering, uh, months ago and sure. he's already put the deposit so why not show up at the whorehouse um, mm-hmm. it's a very awkwardly staged scene there's like we talked about this like all these guys in various mid thrust like yeah, you know looking yeah. back uh, over over at him and and they don't show it and I but I but I do think that like his demeanor when he goes to Viserys is that he is there's more to this story but he's not going to be allowed to defend himself and he's kind of mm-hmm. stepped in it and uh what a! I thought it was so powerful when he tried in desperation to approach his brother, and the king's guard is instantly closed yeah. ranks, and like you hear his clash of their armor and the drawing of the steel, and it's just like they just all as one, like are about to cut this fucker down if he steps one, and he realizes he's he's got to go. He's got no wiggle room here. There's no and no, one of no the things I off. love about this this well, I was gonna say new Iron Throne, but the old Iron Throne is how it is a defensible position for the king. Like an easily sure. defensible, right? There's only one approach. It's right up the middle. And yeah. this king's guard is, can just stand in the way and block that. It's, it's really cool. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that was a badass king's guard moment. Oh yeah. Uh, something tells me Damon is not going to go quietly though. Like he, he turns here and he leaves, but the treble on the horizon, I see. Yeah. Yeah, and we see, uh, you know, like there's all the like the the king's got Blackfire unleashed. That's always seen as a naked threat when a king's got that all be the a bear blade on his 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 lap, or I imagine pointed tip downs even worse. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and but but you know the thing is is I think Damon is saying a lot of accurate information, like right. his basic diagnosis of Viserys being kind of weak and unserious and being manipulated by his advisors. Mm-hmm. 
but also I think Damon thinks a little bit too much of himself and sees him as how he wants to be seen and rather how he actually is. Um, But it's like, it's like, yeah, 10 years ago they could have fixed this, Mm. but now it's just too late and there's too much, too much between them. Too much has been manufactured. Too much has happened. And particularly in this moment, you know, I mean, whether or not he said the King air for his a thing in, in jest to make fun of him or, you know, as, as a, a note as of a toast to winter eye. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't know, but regardless, that was not going to be taken well by the King who's in this state. So I also thought Patty Constantine played this as like, as, uh, as, as Damon spins and, and leaves, like he, like he's trying to not call out after him. Like he's like, yeah. Oh, like now that it's happened and his anger is, is left. It's like, and then, he, then the iron throne cuts him again. Uh, uh-huh. So, all right, let's get to this uh, final series of scenes here. Uh, Viserys tells Rhaenyra that he's going to make her his heir, and the lords pledge their fealty to the king and his new heir. Uh, Damon introduces his special lady friend to his dragon, and no, that is not a euphemism. (laughs) Uh, And finally, Viserys tells Rhaenyra a secret that Aegon conquered Westeros because of a dream he had, which foresaw the end of a story you might be familiar with as depicted in the HBO series, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Come here, Mysterio. I want to show you my red worm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, this is interesting. Cause like oh, another detail that they'll mention in the show is that the serious, uh, does Balerion, the black dread is huge skull that we've seen many times. We've seen Arya skulking around in the dungeons. Um, yeah. Uh, this was his dragon. Viserys claimed the biggest, baddest, at, but at the time, oldest, crankiest, uh, lethargic <laughs> dragon uh, in the world. Swung his leg oh. over and flew him around a couple of short distances. And of course, you know, Valerian uh, dies a year or two later. Hmm. Um, but this is kind of like his a shrine to his pet. Gotcha. And where he feels most connected to his dragonness. You, you mentioned that his impervious to flame. That's something that I was always because like. That's something that George was always adamant. No, no, no. That was a show thing. And like, that was like, you know, Daenerys being resistant to fire was like a one time magical miracle. It seems Mm. like maybe he's backing away from that, or at least they're leaning into the Targaryens, a true Targaryen being fireproof, being canon. I'm interested to see where that goes because it's also, I could probably do that with candles. Like, it's, you know, it's within the in other fiction as like someone just being extremely distraught or extremely focused or a -hmm. master of their craft. Yeah. I've seen this used in different contexts. So maybe it's not resistant to fire, but certainly they're playing with that concept for sure. Especially since game of Thrones really laid laid into it and Mm -hmm. how he thinks that their control of the dragon is an illusion. Uh, you know, we, the, the destruction of the Valeria, the doom of Valeria has always been mysterious from a lore standpoint. And he's going to like, from his opinion, it's all dragons, man. We misuse dragons, mishandle dragons. That's super interesting. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, we're having Anthony, um, our, the, 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 the Bukaloo maester is going to be guest hosting on our feedback episodes. We've got a maester's corner. I think he's going to be talking about the doom of Valeria this week uh so it'll be more of that later on this week if you're if you're lore hungry but uh no this is the thing and this is the big uh kind of lore grenade that the show rolled into our foxholes um Mm -hmm. 
the fact that this Aegon is the one that kind of started this a song of ice and fire, not Rhaegar, as we'd previously suspected. I, I feel like I've said I've talked enough about this. Like me and Kim did a whole 30 minutes on that. If you missed it, uh, the night of the instant take, we I had, I had Kim from The Insider and from the cast of Kings. We talked thir- for 30, 40 minutes just about this. But uh, yeah, it's interesting to see the show make that strong a connection to its predecessor. Or totally. it's, it's future ancestor, especially the, the this element of that. Right. Because this was one of the problems that the one of the things that people had the most problems with in Game of Thrones is the yeah. way that all ended up. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah, connecting it directly to that is risky at best. Uh, uh, I have to wonder, given that he is telling Rhaenyra this like a day after making her the new heir, did he tell this secret to Damon? As his former heir? Probably not. I don't if know. Not, why not? Like Maybe that'll be... I tell you what, that's the most interesting possibility if he has, like, when they're in their youth or whatever, uh, if he had said that, you know, like they, they talked about yeah. this or something, that would be super interesting to me. Yeah. Um, we'll see. But yeah, I, uh, I I love this montage of all the different people kneeling because like, you know, as as Viserys is talking about the cold winds of the north, they show st- the Stark and you've got Corlys Valerian who seems pretty dutiful and he's committed to the pledging and you see the Baratheon and he's like, maybe it's more of like, well, this is kind of Rhaenyra's part two uh, or Rhaenys part two or, or like, I just don't like kneeling to a woman, but he's like very reticent and you get to the Stark. The Starks, you know, they first knelt to a king a hundred years ago, and that feels like he just like, God, I got to come all the way down here to kneel to this 14 year old guy, like all the different attitudes. None of them looked yeah. too enthusiastic about the whole process. And, no. uh, you know, they got the they got the cat's paw blade, the Valerian steel dagger that's right. been seen throughout the Game of Thrones. Another strong connection to the original series. Is there something about that blade that we're going to find out that's going to enhance our enjoyment of what's to come? I don't know. I don't know. I mm-hmm. thought that was again. I thought I was going to have a nice, easy, non-spoiler kind of ride of House of the Dragon. And right from the first episode. Nope. Fuck that. Prince was promised. Yeah. It's coming. It's coming. Get ready. <laughs> so I don't know how strong a theme that is, but it feels like this is something that Martin said very early on in their breaking of the season and it kind of got their imagination and they are going to try to weave it in in a real way, which we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. But that's that's where we leave this episode. And yeah, I think it's also interesting by the end, everything of Viserys' dream came true, yeah. except he was wrong about who the heir was and who mm-hmm. was at the center of all the dragon roaring and adulation and, and things. So uh, very monkey paw fulfillment of his dream that's going to do it for this week if you have feedback uh, and I, I imagine a lot of you do send that into hot D at baldmove.com uh, you can also follow bald move along uh, at twitter.com slash bald moves best way to kind of keep up on our, our comings and goings check out our discord at discord.baldmove.com if you'd like to talk uh, both spoiler free and spoiler filled we got two different channels to discuss the house of the dragon uh, but hot D at baldmove.com. We'll be back Thursday to consider that. And we'll also be inviting our friend Maester Anthony to consider some um, a little bit more in-depth stuff in the lore. Uh, but yeah, Game of Thrones is back in the form of House of Dragon. And I'm super excited. 
Uh, cannot wait because I, I haven't seen the second episode. I can't wait to see how this continues to develop. Mm-hmm. We'll be back Thursday with feedback. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. See ya.